0: What do we think about, if I was to say, leading men in film? What do you think about leading men in film? We maybe think of a sort of a handsome guy, you know, a well-built guy at the forefront of some big Hollywood blockbuster, don't we? A leading man, you know, the guy who's going to sort of save the day, you know, the, the guy who is, you know, the hero of the story. So leading men in film. Okay, that's fine. What about, what do you think of when I say leading men in society? Who, who are we talking about if we think about leading men in society? Um, maybe we think of politicians, do we? You know, the guys who are sort of wielding all of our sort of influence and all the power. Maybe they're the leading guys. Maybe it's sort of pioneering businessmen. You know, guys that are on the sort of top of their game. Maybe they are the leading men of society. So, leading men in film, okay? Leading men in society. Well, this morning, what we're going to do in our short time together is we are going to look at the verses that that we read in Acts chapter 15. Do you know what we're going to consider? We're going to consider what makes leading men in God's eyes. What makes leading men in the church? But I suppose before we, we get into this, we should remind ourselves of, of <clears throat> where we are in Acts, because we weren't in Acts last week. So last time out, you'll remember, the, the best word was controversy, wasn't it? Do you remember that? Everything had kind of kicked off in Antioch, and there was all these problems between Jewish Christians, Gentile Christians, they were really at it. And what they'd done, the people in Antioch, they had sent Paul and Barnabas... To go to Jerusalem. Do you remember <clears throat> what happened? It was at the Jerusalem Council. All the bigwigs got together and discussed this, this controversy. And do you remember what came out of it? The Jerusalem Council affirmed categorically <coughs> that salvation was by faith in Christ. Now, so it was controversy. That's where we, that's where we'd we got to. But what we find here, Today is that this Jerusalem council wasn't just a bunch of wussies You know, that it wasn't just the Jerusalem council just all talk and no action. They do something. They send out a letter back to this church with problems in Antioch. And it's a letter that sort of details the decisions that this council has made. Now, you know, it's a section of scripture about a letter. So, obviously, today, we're going to spend a little bit of time thinking about the content of the letter. We have to do that. But here's here's what I want us to see. Primarily speaking, the first thing that we're going to do, primarily, we are going to focus on the men who were entrusted with this letter. That's what I want us to think about. The guys who were entrusted with this letter. We're going to think about what that teaches us about men here and women, men and women in the life of God's church so that's the plan okay, I tell you what, let's get into this, so I would ask you um, if you've got a bible in front of you have it open at Acts chapter 15 okay? so Acts 15 I'm looking as I said from about verse 22 onwards, Look, let's consider the first point first heading here We see here the appointment of leading men. Okay, the appointment of leading men. That's our first heading: appointment of leading men. Okay, you know the idea. Let's say a big company has got something um, incredibly valuable to send to another part of the world. Let's say for the sake of argument that it's diamonds, okay? Now, that company, if it is a responsible company is not just going to take those diamonds and chuck them in one of these jiffy bag things, you know, and sort of post the diamonds second class is it? No, what might happen is that that company takes the diamonds and entrusts them to, let's say, one of their most reliable and trustworthy employees and members of staff, That's you know to sort of hand deliver, that's maybe what the company might do now Look, that is the idea that we are dealing with here. Think about what we've seen. Think about where we are. James stood up at the end of the Jerusalem council. And he's affirmed salvation is about Christ and what Christ has done. And then the council have written this letter about this. It's an important decision for the life of the church. So do you see what they do in the text? They don't just give it to some any old messenger that has to just pass him by. Do you see what they do? It's such an important decision, this. It's so crucial that they entrust this letter to one of their own. A reliable guy from within the congregation. Now, first things first... Who is it? Do you see in the text, who were the guys that were chosen? So if your Bible's open, look at the end of verse 22. Who's chosen? It says, they chose, so the church chose, uh, Judas and Silas. So if we were doing sort of Bible trivia just now, you could say, well, what do you know about this guy Judas? What do you know about Judas? Well, you know nothing about Judas because he's not mentioned again in the Bible. But the guy Silas is mentioned. Do you know who Silas is? Silas, think about it. Silas becomes Paul's partner in his second missionary journey. So sort of for Barnabas in the first missionary journey, kind of read Silas. And this guy Silas here, he's also mentioned as co-author of, you know, the letters to the Thessalonians. Well, that's Silas. He's involved in that. That's who it is, right? That's fine. We get it. Judas and Silas. Do you know what's important? Note how those men are described in verse 22. Now, the NIV's right, but it's, it's slightly different than the original. So these guys, Judas and Silas, they are described in the Greek as being sort of leading men. And this is important if we're going to understand this. They're described, Judas and Silas, they're described as sort of leading lights would you allow that? They're sort of, not quite leaders, but leading men in the congregation. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to be a, a guy who's a leading light or a leading man in, in the congregation? Well, I think we've learned something about that from what these guys are asked to do. Because Judas and Silas are not just asked to go and sort of be sort of glorified posties, you know, and just deliver. There's more to it than that. Now, not yesterday... But the, the Saturday before that, um, we had the Banner of Truth Conference down in Grove Chapel. So it was a conference for sort of 20s and 30s. And uh, at the end of the day, um, there was a what was called a sort of question and answer session. You know these sorts of things, do you? You know, like people put questions in a box somewhere and then uh, they... Pick on a poor minister to try and answer and wrestle with these questions, and that's how it worked. There was, you know, it was a few of us, like three guys, sitting at the front. We had to try and answer these questions. But here's the thing: I was really tired, you know, really tired, and it'd been a very, very long day. And let's just say the question and answer session didn't go as well as I'd maybe hoped it would go. But you see, that idea, that is what we're talking about here with Judas and Silas. If you see verse 27 in front of you, you will see they're not glorified posties. These guys were... you see what it says? They were to confirm by mouth the contents of this letter. So you've got these guys, just like a sort of question and answer session, they are sent to Antioch to try and explain to to the congregation, to try and sort of defend the decisions of the church. Now... Do you see how that helps us? Do you see how that sort of colors the idea of what it meant to be a leading man, a leading light in the church? Do you see it? These guys had to be spiritually capable. These guys, Judas and Silas, they had to be spiritually mature. They had to be able to sort of verbalize, communicate biblical truth. Now here's the deal. There is a lot in these verses that is very applicable for London City Presbyterian Church. Lots of this stuff. But just now, I just want to address the men in this congregation here. Just so want to ask you a couple of things, guys. What do you aspire to be, really? You know, at this point in your life, what is it that you are pursuing? You know, are you at this moment trying to be a sort of... You want to be a leading man in the workplace. Is that what it's about just now? You know, try to climb the corporate ladder or maybe just be recognized for the hard work that you've put in. Is that where you're at? Are you maybe? Maybe it's something different. Maybe you're wanting just now to be a leading man in your social life. You know, maybe just with your family, wanting to see them prosperous. Maybe you just want to settle down see all that stuff there's nothing wrong with that stuff that, that's, that's all great, that's wonderful stuff but surely you see that it just pales into insignificance compared with being a leading man in the eyes of God a leading man in the eyes of the church I mean the world is going to say to you that a real man is a man with muscles <laughs> and a real man is a man with cars and girls a real man is a man with money, status, class. We're seeing something different here. We're seeing that a, a, a real man is actually a man with spiritual muscles and spiritual class and spiritual capabilities. And I want, I want you, as a man in here, to ask yourself, is that you? Ask yourself this morning, are you a man of spiritual substance? And of course, what do we have to do? We have to widen it out. We can all ask ourselves, are we people of spiritual substance? Are we? Because you kind of read Acts 15, don't you? And you, you think about it, you try and apply it here, and you think, wait a minute. If LCPC had a letter like this, so important like this, we have to ask ourselves, especially as guys, would we be asked to deliver and defend a letter like this? Would we be asked... To accompany it. Do you see? It is time for us spiritually to man up. It is. We need to become leading men in the eyes of God. So the appointment of leading men. Secondly, let's let's think about a second heading. We've seen the appointment, how these guys were appointed. Secondly, let's consider the assistance of leading men the assistance of leading men so so we understand it so far we've got the council the Jerusalem council they've written a letter and then they've given it to a group of guys so they've given it to Judas Silas they've given it to Paul and Barnabas this letter now I said before we've really got to pay attention surely to the content of the letter I just want to say one or two things about it it's, it's going to sound strange but the first thing is to notice about this letter that's sent by the, the council is that it's a nice letter isn't it? I mean, does that sound strange? maybe but think about the content you've got, or the context, you've got Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians in Antioch really going at each other that's the context, and this letter is written from, think about it People in Jerusalem. is written from Jewish Christians and it's written to Gentile Christians. So you might think, oh, there's going to be a bit of tension here. None of it. I mean, this letter is just really warm, really nice. It begins in the original. as this sort of idea of like, we're brothers, you're brothers, we love you guys. You know, it's a really nice, warm letter. I suppose we should also note that it's short as well, shouldn't we? I mean, it's to the point The letter simply wants to communicate the two main decisions that were made by the Jerusalem Council. There isn't any floweriness and extra stuff in this letter. It's just about the two decisions. What were they? What are the two decisions in the Jerusalem Council? One, you know, the letter communicates that they're sending Judas and Silas up the road. Two, what was the Jerusalem Council about? The letter communicates the fact, yes, Salvation, hear it. Salvation is not tied to law obedience. It's not tied to anything like that. It's exclusively, entirely about Jesus Christ. And the letter is short to highlight that. So do so you see, it? it's nice, nice letter. Short letter. The one I want us to think about though, most of all, is to notice the Incredibly affectionate language in the letter of Paul and Barnabas. Incredibly affectionate. Incredibly affectionate language. Now, have you ever had, um, let me ask you this, have, have you ever had anything nice, really nice, written about you in the past? Have you ever had anything nice written about you? Um maybe because of the sort of city we're in you know, you know how it is maybe you've had people come to stay at your house and uh, then they've left and when they've left you've maybe gone into the spare room to tidy up after them and you've found a card that they've left you know how it is and you sort of go to the car open it up and it's, it talks about how hospitable you've been and how kind you know it's saying all these nice things but you ever had that before Hopefully you have had that happen before. Well, that's kind of what we've got in this letter here. I just want you to to, to eyes down and look at verse 25. The church of Jerusalem says about Paul and Barnabas. What does it say? Do you see? Again, it's maybe not... it, It says here, Paul and Barnabas are our dear friends. And then it goes on to say, these guys are men who have risked their lives for Christ. Now, what I want you to, to, to understand is that um, in, the, in the Greek, in the original language, it is so much deeper. And it's, it's so much stronger than that. So you've got the, the guys in Jerusalem saying about Paul and Barnabas, we love them. These guys who are coming up, back up to you and that, we love them. They are, in the original, they are beloved to us. We, we love these people. It is incredibly an affectionate language. Now, what, what I want you to think about is is that, that language in the context of the letter. You know, like, think about it. Paul and Barnabas are just about to go out into the front line again, aren't they? You know, we've said that everyone's kicked off and. Antioch, there's all this fighting. And Paul and Barnabas have left that to go to Jerusalem. And they are just about to go back into all of that tension. And all of that stress in that congregation. So do you see what a letter language like this would mean in such a context? Do you see it? It means that Paul and Barnabas are going into that sense of tension with a commendation of the Jerusalem church. Even more than that, think about it. Think about how encouraging it would be for Paul and Barnabas. Look what they've got in their pocket. They are going back into this situation of, of almost warfare, spiritual warfare. But they know that their they're people, they know that this congregation love them, that they are supporting them in the Lord. Now, do you see how relevant it is to us? Do you? You see, think about this. All of us who are Christians, at 9 a.m. tomorrow morning, um, we are going out to the front line. All of us. Aren't we? As Christians going into the world, we are going to the front line. But what I want you to see this morning is that that is more true of some than others. Isn't it? You know, like Paul and Barnabas, a congregation just now, we have got people who tomorrow morning are going out into the front line to proclaim the message of salvation by faith in this congregation just now we've got people who are involved in theological education you know people who are teaching future ministers people who are studying to be future ministers you know in this congregation just now we've got people involved in the church of course we do in this congregation just now, we have also got quite a number of people who are working openly in Christian organizations, and we are seeing here how we should act towards those people. Do you see it? Just as Paul and Barnabas were commended by the Jerusalem church, see the people that I've just mentioned? They should go a thoroughly encouraged by us, that they should go out knowing that we are behind them, assisting the leading men, leading women, leading people of the congregation. Do you see it? We should assure those people that we are praying for them. Do we do that? Do we tell them that? We should ensure the people who tomorrow morning are, are witnessing, who are tomorrow morning are teaching, tomorrow morning are involved in disciples, we should ensure that they know that they are loved, that they are supported by the church of Jesus Christ. We see here the assistance of leading men. And then thirdly, lastly, We've seen the appointment of leading men. We've seen the assistance of the leading men. Thirdly, we see the actions of leading men. (coughs) Excuse me. This congregation here, we, uh, we have more congregational fellowships than any other congregation that I've certainly been involved with before. You know, uh, some churches have congregational fellowships maybe once every couple of years. Maybe if they're pushing it once a year. Maybe they have them once every six months. We go all out for congregational fellowships. We have congregational fellowships every, every month. Okay? And we're kind of getting a sense in Acts that that was the same for the church in Antioch, that they loved their congregational fellowships remember what we've seen you know Paul and Barnabas remember they return back from their missionary journey what do they do congregational fellowship time let's gather the congregation together right that's what they do now have a look here as well look in verse 30 The congreg- it's congregational fellowship they get the congregation together again why to have this letter from Jerusalem, read aloud. So we are at the stage now of the story where the letter, these guys have arrived in Antioch. They've got the letter. The letter's with them, and it is read out. Now, I'm thinking that that congregational fellowship that they had would have beaten any congregational fellowship that we've ever had. You know, that it would have been incredibly joyous, wouldn't it? This congregation hear this letter read out from the Jerusalem, imagine hearing it in amongst all that tension. Hear that the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem love them. They hear more than that. They hear it confirmed. Imagine it in amongst the tension about the nature of salvation and they hear it confirmed. No! It's about Christ. The letter's read out. It's about Christ and Christ alone. And these people are jumping for joy. What what a a sight, you know? They're rejoicing. But as we've done all along this morning, what I want us to do as we we close here is just to think about the leading men again And, and what it is that they do when they arrive in Antioch and what that teaches us about what we want from the men of this church so just a few thoughts to to close with what do we learn look we learn here that leading men should remain in congregations that are troubled leading men must remain in congregations that are troubled like think paul and barnabas think about all the hassle they've had in antioch all the fights have you ever been in a congregation where there's a lot of tension and a lot of misery that's nothing compared to what it must have been like in Antioch. You know, total chaos. And Paul and Barnabas could easily say to each other, let's get out of this. You know, let's go out of the door. Let's find another church, another congregation. Do they do that? Look at verse 35. It stresses their continued commitment to this congregation, even when things are tough. Then we see that leading men should pursue unity in congregations. Now, think this time about Judas and, and, and Silas, these guys that we're talking about today. Now, think about what they've done. Like Judas and Silas have they have been chosen just to, to go up from Jerusalem to Antioch to deliver a letter. Now, that's quite a long way to go. And what was the only reason that they've done this? They've done it to promote unity. That's the only reason that Judas and Silas go and make this journey. They're, they're doing this to support their fellow Christians and to, 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 to really provide some sort of harmony in the church. And they don't leave, verse 33, until that has been achieved. They only go, they are sent off with the blessing of peace, leading men. And hear this if you're a guy in this church. Leading men should pursue unity in congregations. And then the third one, and the last one. Ready for it? Leading men should seek to build up congregations in the word of God. Like, I hope you've you've heard this this morning. And I hope you've followed this through this morning. If you have, I think you'll be able to see that we're kind of talking about two groups of leading men. There's two sets of two guys, isn't there? You know, you've got Judas and Silas, and you've got Paul and Barnabas. Do you know what's beautiful? At the end of the section, those two sets of guys are doing exactly the same thing. They just get together to teach the people of God about Jesus. That's what they're doing. Look at it. It says here that Judas and Silas strengthened the brothers with many words, many words from God. And then Paul and Barnabas, what are they doing? They are, it says, they are teaching and preaching. And I think what emerges there is a picture of what we want, a London City Presbyterian Church, from our men. In fact, I'll rephrase that. That there is a picture of what we need from the men of this church. The church of Jesus Christ in this country, it needs men who promote unity in congregations. That's what it needs. Men who actively try and encourage harmony and love in congregations. More than that, the Church of Jesus Christ, LCPC, needs men who want to build up the congregation in the Word of God. Men who are active about pushing people towards the gospel and explaining the gospel to people. Now, why do we why do we want that? Why is that so crucial? Why do we need that from our guys? Because we want to be like Antioch, don't we? We want to be a congregation. Think of their congregational fellowship. We want to be a congregation that stands together and is able to rejoice. And rejoice in what? Rejoice in what? The same thing that they were rejoicing in. Rejoicing together, knowing that salvation is about Jesus Christ and it's about Him Him alone. Now, here, here's, here's the deal. Uh, often we listen to a, a Sunday morning sermon. And we're tired. And we chuck the sermon out. By the time the benediction is finished. It's gone. I ask the men in the congregation here not to do that. Um, I ask you this morning, guys especially, everyone of course, but men especially, give some prayerful thought to all of this this morning. Because truth be told... For this message of salvation to be proclaimed in this country, a dark country, the church of Christ, it needs men of Christ. And what a message we've got to proclaim, don't we? I suppose in some ways like Judas and and, and Silas here, heading from Jerusalem to Antioch to try and promote harmony, that Jesus Christ... Was tasked, commissioned to repair a broken relationship. A broken relationship between God and man. And just as we're seeing here, Judas and Silas return home to Jerusalem, that, that, done. So Jesus Christ has returned to the holy city. His work completed. He has atoned for the sin of all those who will look to him as saviour. Is that not a beautiful message? Is that not a message that the world needs to hear? So all of us in here this morning, let us give some serious consideration to our commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because above anyone else in this room, and above everyone else in society, And above everyone else in film, Jesus is what? He is the leading man. It's about, it's great.